0: We're in our series called Moxie. Moxie means strength of character. Moxie means you've got guts. Moxie means you're courageous. Moxie means you're determined. It means you've got grit. But at the same time, we're talking about Christian Moxie, which is a bit different. It includes all those things, but it adds upon it a joy and a peace and a contentment that cannot be lost. Because here's the thing you can muster up a bit of moxie in your life, a bit of courage, a bit of determination, but it's usually situational. And Christian moxie, it's rooted in Christ. It is unshakable. That means you have joy, you have peace, you have determination, you have courage, you have guts, you've got grit, and it's not going anywhere because your God is unshakable. In our series, what it's been showing us is that if you want this moxie, it starts and it ends with the grace of God. And what we've been doing each week is we've been looking at grace like a diamond. And so we're looking at this diamond and we're turning it, and we're seeing different facets of the grace of God. And today we're going to look into this facet. We're going to turn the diamond in such a way where we see something. And, and by the way, what we're talking about today, this is what about, about the good news of Christianity. This is the stuff that has changed me the most When I first heard it, like I had been in church for much of my life and I first heard it and I was absolutely blown away and it made this great shift in the way I interacted with God and then what ended up happening is I began to be changed by him. And so I hope that happens to you today. So we're gonna turn the diamond in such a way where we're gonna see something. We're gonna see the record of Christ and we're gonna see our record and we're gonna hold them up our record versus Christ's record, and we're going to compare them. Yeah, and, and, and here's the beauty of this. So it's going to humble you, but guess what? You're given a, a, this beautiful option where basically the writer Paul brings us to a crossroads and he says, you can offer up your record to God or Christ's record, but you have to pick one. Your record or Christ's record, but you have to pick one. And as soon as you take up your record a bit, you forfeit the record of Christ. So that's where we're going today, and it will change you. In fact, if you grasp today, you're going to look back in five years from now, and if you, make, if you continue to look at this facet of the diamond, every day of your life for the next five years, you're going to look back at today, you're going to look back at the last five years, and you're going to say, wow, I'm a lot different than I was five years ago. So here's our verses. We're going to go get some moxie now. So Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. All right, we're going to unpack this. But before we unpack it, what we've been doing each week or almost every week is we've been telling a story. And the story we've been telling is like holding up this diamond and it's looking at a different facet. And so we're going to continue this story and we're going to, we're going to turn it in such a way, we're going to go through the story in such a way that we stop right there at this facet of the diamond and we look at Christ's record versus our record. Okay, so here's the story. I want you to imagine this. I want, I want you to imagine you live in a world that is a dystopia, You live in a place where all hope is absolutely gone. And the reason because is this. The city that you are in is being ruled by these evil people and their slave masters. And they've hired these warrior type people to come and capture people so that they could bring them to this place and auction them off to the slave masters and so this has happened to you you're you're in your home with your family and your house gets raided in the middle of the night and these w- brutal warriors come in and they take you and they take you to this place where you're about to be bid and auctioned off to the highest bidder to the highest slave master and the bidding starts and you hear them bid on you and then you see that you have been bought and you know immediately my life is over my freedom is gone and my identity is gone And then you're thrown into the back of this truck where you can't see out of and you're taken to this new home that you might call it, if you could call it that. And as your worst nightmare is about to come true and this door swings open, you're shocked because you're met with a smile that says, we are so glad that you're here. You're taken off of the truck and you look around and everybody looks like they are happy and at peace. And there's a strength about the people in this place. It seems like paradise. And you start asking, what's going on? Where are we? And, the, and someone says to you, oh, the, the master that has bought you, he's been doing this for years. He's been rescuing people from those evil slave masters and he's rescued you and this place, we call it the gates of grace because he's the king of grace and all of a sudden you start weeping in tears because you see that you and your family are finally safe and then the person says to you, okay, now it's time to come meet the king of grace and you come and you meet him and there's something about him where he has a strength that absolutely humbles you but he has a love that lifts you up and you know from meeting him that you will never again meet anybody like him. And you kind of settle in to this place that you're calling your new home. And as you settle in, a couple days pass and you wake up one morning and you see something interesting. You look outside of the gates. And the gates are open. And there's all these people outside of the gates and they want to get in but they can't get in. But the gates are open and everyone is welcome to come in. Yet for some reason there's like this invisible wall that they can't seem to pass through. And they're doing everything they can. They're trying as hard as they can to get through these gates of grace, but they can't seem to get in. And today is answering the question of why can't they get in? So I want you to, this might be you. You might be right outside the gates of grace and you can't seem to get in. And you're going to find out why. So the core of what Paul is telling us in these verses is we either approach God the Father with our record or Christ's record, and we have to pick one. And, and what, what's happening is Paul's bringing us up to a crossroads and he's making us make a decision. Because we've got all these things that we keep doing in our life that we keep trying to offer up to God, saying, God, look at what I'm doing for you. God, look at the things that I'm doing. Don't you love me? Don't you accept me now because of what I'm doing? And what he's, Paul is saying is, as soon as you do that, you forfeit the record of Christ. So here's how I want you to think about it. Let me bring you to the crossroads. So we all have these feelings and this thinking that God is watching us, and he's seeing the things that we're doing wrong, and he's keeping record of them. Now, is that true? Does God see all that we are doing wrong? Well, the answer is actually yes, he's seeing everything. In fact, it's probably a lot worse than you realize, because here, here's the way the Bible talks about this. We're, because of our sin, it's like we're clothed in sin, so we're, we don't see each other, we don't see ourselves spiritually. But you've got to understand how God sees us because he's seeing us spiritually. And this is what it looks like to God. We've got all of this sin in our life and we're, we're doing these things that we know we shouldn't do, but we keep on doing them. You know what I'm talking about. And then here's, here's what starts to happen. The image is this. We have this sin that is creeping and crawling all over us. And we have this sin that's like slithering all over our bodies. And, and you get this picture where God looks down upon us and it sees our sin. And it's like the sin that we have is slithering all over us. And it's this vile, disgusting look of what we've become. And as offensive as that sounds, we do understand that there is right and there is wrong. And we do understand that if there's a God, he's seeing what we're doing. In other words, God created us with a moral compass. We know that God sees what we're doing and we know that it's wrong because God wired that into us when he created us. Now, this moral compass that we have is screaming at us, that we're doing things that we shouldn't be doing. However, we're dealing with that and then we're dealing with, okay, God is watching us. So then we've got, here's what we've got to do. We've got to do something. We've got to deal with the fact that we're not measuring up to what we know we should be measuring up to. We don't want it to look like we've got these bugs like sin crawling all over us and slithering all over us like snakes. So here's what we do. Here, here's two different responses. Let's say it that way. Two different types of people who have two different responses. First type of person runs from God. They say, oh man, I can't come into the presence of God. Look at all this crawling and creeping all over me. I've got to run. The other type of person, you know what they do? They come to church. Both are wrong. Are you shocked that I'm saying that? Because here's the thing. In fact, here's what I might even argue. The person running from God might actually understand God better than the person coming to church. Here's why I say that. The person coming to church feels pretty confident that they can somehow come to church, fix their life up a bit, and then by doing that, they can earn a record that's good enough to be loved and accepted by God. The person running understands at least to some degree that they can't measure up. That they understand that if God is really perfect and he's going to build this perfect world and we are imperfect, then that means there's no way we could get into the perfect world if we're imperfect because when that which is imperfect enters into the perfect, perfect is no longer perfect anymore because it's been tainted. Rationally, though, we understand that, but emotionally, we, we, we try to figure out a way to do something else. And here's what we do. We diminish the perfection of God. And we start saying things like this. The person coming to the church is trying to deal with their sin by measuring up to God's standards. Here's what they start doing they start lowering the standards of God and they say something like this You know, I know that God loves me and accepts me because He knows how hard I'm trying. He sees how hard I'm trying, so He's got to love me and He's got to accept me. Now, Here's my question. Is that true? Is it true that God has to love and accept you because you're trying hard? And then the next question is, well, how high up of a level do you have to get to to try hard? Like, what's the cap that you have to just jump just past so that you can like be like, okay, God, I did it. I've earned just enough, but you know what? I messed up a little bit now, God, so now I'm down. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I got to try even harder. So then you try harder and you get back up and then you get back down. I don't know if this sounds familiar to you or not emotionally how you're dealing with God, but I bet it does. And many people in the church are doing this. And and what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to diminish the perfection of God and the standards of God so that we could get in and so we can feel like God loves us and God accepts us. And if I had to tell you, from my conversations with people, the way that Christianity is most misunderstood is just this, that God loves me and accepts me because he sees that I'm trying hard. do you know what that does to you? Do you know that emotionally right now you're probably just dying inside because you're not really sure how God feels about you? Here's my guess. If you're working on this system, of tri- this try-hard system, you are completely anxious right now because you don't really know how God feels about you. Or maybe this. Let me ask you this question. Is obeying God, I know even that word is like, oh, don't say obedience, but is obeying God a chore to you or is it a delight to you? Because look, if you're on the try-hard system, doing what God tells you to do, it's going to feel like a chore. It's going to feel like, oh man, i got to do this, and I don't want to do this, but i got to do this so I can get at least to this level, this level of goodness so then that means I can be accepted and loved. Look, you have made yourself a slave to God by doing that. And God is not interested in slaves. He's interested in sons and daughters. It's a very big difference. Or, so, so we got to get to this point to where we're getting God to lower his standards. And guess what that means? We have this picture of heaven, of this perfect place. But if God lowers the standards of who gets into heaven and who does, or who gets into heaven, then guess what that means? Heaven's up here, perfection, and then, okay, well, we got to lower it. I gotta lower it for them. Oh, look at them, they're trying hard. I gotta lower it, I gotta lower it. Guess where we're at now? We're right here in this world, the way it is. And guess what that means now? God has not given us the world that we long for. This idea of heaven is absolutely gone because the standards of God have been lowered. The the world we long for, we can't attain the record needed to get into it. So our verses are saying you're either going to bring Christ's record or your record, but you have to pick one. But as soon as you pick your record, you have to figure out a way to diminish the standards of God so that you could be loved and accepted by him. So just like, let's imagine what this feels like. So you're about to come and meet God. And you know all the stuff that you've done. You're walking up and you're full of anxiety because you don't know what he's going to say. You don't know what he's going to do. And you know what, you could, you could maybe convince yourself like, okay, well, I've tried pretty hard, but then you start thinking in the back of your mind, well, what about that thing that I did that I would be ashamed to tell anybody about? What about those things that I've been doing that not even the person closest to me knows about because I'm so, I feel so much guilt about that. And then all of a sudden that starts stirring up inside of you and you say, oh no, I can't do this. You take off running the other way. So now you're like, okay, David, tell me what, I'm, what, I'm do, what I need to do because I'm freaking out right now. It's simple. It's all, it's, this is a faith move. You, by faith, accept the record of Christ that's being offered to you. You don't try to earn the love and acceptance. You take the record of Christ that's being offered to you, and then you become clothed in it. And now, when God looks upon you, he's not seeing the slithering sin upon you. He's seeing the beautiful record of Christ that's been offered to you. And you know what that means now? That means you can run right up to God with peace. You could skip up to him with complete joy because you know what he thinks of you because you're clothed in this perfect record of Christ. And you know what else that means? It means you can come into the presence of God. Have you ever met somebody that you looked up to? Maybe somebody, like maybe this is a hero of yours you've never met, but you know this is an amazing person, and finally you meet this person. And then in meeting this person, you're so inspired by them that the next day you find yourself living differently because they've had an impact on you. What do you think happens when you come into the presence of God? So if you're clothed in the record of Christ, you can you can come up into the presence of God, but if you know that you are clothed in your sin, you're never going to come into the presence of God. You wouldn't dare do it, so guess what you miss out on? Becoming who you're made to be because only God in His presence could turn you into the person you're made to become. And so you spend your whole life running from God in the church or outside of the church. You run from God by lowering His standards or you just run away from Him by running from the church. Maybe you're here and you've been telling yourself you're a Christian, but you've never experienced the presence of God, it could simply mean that you're working on this try-hard system. Let's go back to the story. That's why those people are standing outside the gates of grace, because they're relying on their record of goodness to get them in. And you know what? You look out at them, the, the, say, say you're in the story, and you look out at them, and they look like they've got their act together. They look like people who are like, man, these people, they know like, the right way to live their life. They look clean. They look like everything's right in their life. And they're, they're yelling from the outside, how dare the king of grace do this to me? Does he not know what I'm doing? Does not he not see how hard I'm working for him? How dare he give me this life? I deserve a better life than this. I deserve to be in the gates of grace. How dare him doing this to me? And then meanwhile, a beggar and a prostitute walk up. And they walk right up to the gates of grace and walk through. And those tryhards are enraged. They say, How is this happening? Because they know those people. They know what they're like. They know the problems that those people cause from the town that they are in. And they say, How can these people be getting in? And the answer is this they're relying on grace, not their record. Two years ago, no, not two years, a few years, many years ago, actually, I was asked to speak at this small men's conference. And as I'm, I wanted to try something, so I got them all together. I said, come on, come on, come on, come on. And so I got them together. And these are, these are men who are leaders in churches. And so I, here's the question I asked them. Why does God love and accept you? So just think about it for a second. And I said, okay, now tell me, why does God love and accept you? And One guy after the next says something along the lines of, God knows I'm really trying hard. God really sees me, and I'm really, really trying so hard. And you know what I start thinking to myself? Oh my gosh, these are church leaders, and they have no idea what the grace of God is. These aren't pastors, but they're church leaders, and they have no idea what the grace of God is. So I'm thinking, one, how has this happened? But two, I'm thinking, man, these guys are about to become Christians because they're not Christians, and they think they are, but they're not, and they're about to hear this good news. And then finally, this dude with moxie stands up and he says, I don't know who your God is, but my God loves me and accepts me because of my faith in the record of Christ. And I was like, yes, mic drop, boom, this is amazing. Here's what he was saying. At the core of what it means to be a Christian, please, if you don't hear anything I say, hear this. The core of, but you want to hear everything I say, but look, at the core of what it means to be a Christian is to say, here's my record, I'm putting it to the side, and I'm taking the record of Christ, because he he took my record, and I let him take it. He took my record, and he went to the cross with it, and on the cross, he was covered with the vileness of my sin that was creeping and crawling all over him and slithering on him, and he gave me his perfect record, and he clothed me in it. That's what it means to be a Christian. You have faith that that has happened. Over and over and over again, the Bible's trying to convince you of that. And for some reason, all of these dudes in this church have missed, these churches missed that, and they're leaders in the church. We're not making this clear enough. So I just want to make this completely clear to you what Christianity is. It's you taking your record, throwing it away in the trash, and taking the record of Christ and saying, I'm having faith in his record, and you have peace and you have joy because you have this new record, and then you run into the presence of God. Guess what that means? God's standards were never lowered, and he can give you the world you long for. There you go. There you go, Joe. Here's what else Paul's saying. Take all the good things you've done, count them as rubbish. Now the word, the Greek word here, Some scholars say this word he's using is a slang word for feces. In other words, he's using the SH word. Why would he do that? Because he's making a point, and he wants to make sure you understand it, that all the good stuff that you keep doing, all the wonderful things that you're doing, your temptation is going to be to hold on to that and to say, God, accept me and love me because look what I'm doing. God look what I'm doing just give me the life that I want and we start bargaining with God and we're saying God look at the things I'm doing I'm doing them for you now will you please give me the life that I long for are you really doing them for God or are you doing them so he'll give you the life you long for so then therefore you're not actually doing them for God you're doing them for yourself and that's not love So the only way to really love God is to have this record credited to you so you have nothing to prove to Him anymore. And now you can start experiencing and discovering what it's like to with no no need to prove anything to God, you start testing your motives and you start seeing why you're actually going to God. And you start this process of learning to love God because your record's been cleared and everything's good. You gotta count it as rubbish. Paul, this is what Paul does in these verses. He lists all the stuff. So there's this stuff going on talking about circumcision and all the stuff that we don't really understand. Essentially what Paul's saying is, look, there's this law of how we should live. And Paul, go, here's what Paul says, and he's right. Paul was a major tryhard before he became a Christian, and he lived the life that everybody else around him should have been living. He was the guy who had it all together the most. He was the ultimate tryhard, and he, he, what he's saying is, I came to realize when I became a Christian that I had to throw all the good stuff I did in the Trash, and I'm going to tell you that's so hard to do because you do this. You do this with people, you bargain with people about how you treat them, and you're like, I'm treating you well, you should be treating me well. And we do it with God probably more than we do with people. And what he's saying is, this, as soon as you do something good, you start wanting to hold on to it, and you start wanting God to see all the good stuff you're doing, and then by doing that, you're forfeiting the record of Christ because you're holding up your record, instead of Christ's record to God. Paul's just begging us, throw your record in the trash. Stop holding on to it, because it's your pride anyways. It's your pride that's saying, I can measure up to what God's standards are. Many of you are holding up your record to God and you're bargaining with him. And he isn't giving you something you want in life. Come on, you know this sounds familiar. He isn't giving you something you want in your life and you're shaking your fist at him like, God, how can you do this to me? Or you're mad at God. I mean, you're mad at God. This is the stuff that makes people mad at God. You think he owes you because of how good you are. When meanwhile, you have Christ record offered right here for you. And here's what happens when you realize that you can have his record and you have it. Here's what happens. Our verses talk about suffering. So you start going through suffering in your life. But if, if Christ's record is covering you, guess what that means? It means God cannot be punishing you for your sins because your sins have already been dealt with. Christ was punished in your place. So you say, okay, well, what, what the heck is going on here? Why is this happening in my life? Well, here's what you do. You look at the cross and you say this, man, the cross looked like the worst thing that could have happened. God died on the cross. This, this looks like the greatest tragedy in the, in the history of the cosmos, but what God does with it is make it the greatest event in the history of the cosmos. He brought the best good, the best beauty, the best everything through the cross. And so then you say this, when you're suffering, you say, okay, I, didn't, I don't understand fully why I'm suffering but I can trust that God will bring some good out of it if he brought good out of the cross. And you trust that it's gonna not just do good in you, but it's gonna do good in others around you. And then our verses keep talking about suffering, and it's pretty complicated what say it saying, it's hard to figure out, but essentially it's saying this, because it talks about knowing Christ. So here's some things that happen to you. You have suffering in your life. And as you're suffering you start reflecting on the suffering of Christ. And now, guess what's happening? You're better understanding Christ in his suffering. You're just getting a glimmer of what he did. I mean, the, the degree that he suffered, you're only suffering a, a, a sliver of it, but you're getting to understand it a bit better, and guess what? It's helping you know Christ better. That's what our verse said, know Christ, but it's not know Christ, meaning you intellectually understand him. It means know Christ like you are intimate with him, like you're coming into his presence. And then so, that means suffering, brings you into the presence of Christ because guess what else happens when you're especially when you're a Christian but by the way if you're not a Christian and you're probably over the age of 18 it's going to probably take some suffering in your life to realize maybe Christianity is something I should hope in but if you're a Christian here's what happens you you start suffering where do you go to first Christ And now what's happening to you? Well, you're coming into the presence of the one who changes you. And you're knowing him better. And you're understanding the cross better. And then through all of that, you start saying, oh my gosh, like this is horrible. I hate suffering completely, but somehow God is bringing good out of this because I'm feeling it inside of me. Like deep in my soul, I feel and experience God and I have a joy that's there. It's deep down and it's hard to get out, but I can feel it there. And I didn't feel it before. And it took suffering for you to see it and feel it and understand it. Taking you into the presence of God. And look what else it does. Our verses talk about the power of the resurrection. And that through knowing Christ, the power of the resurrection starts being something we have access to. Now, look, that does not mean that you can start lifting up heavier things. That's not that kind of power. It's the kind of power that gives you moxie. It's the kind of power that gives you peace when it looks like you shouldn't have peace at all. It's the kind of power that gives you joy when it looks like your circumstances should lead you to this deep sadness and depression. Somehow there's a joy that's bubbling up. It's a kind of power that no matter what you're going through, you have courage and you're determined to become who God has made you to become. And it's the kind of power that helps you become the person you're made to be. But it took a bit of suffering to get you there, to drive you into the arms of Christ. And here's the other thing that starts happening. You see people in your life, and you know this, guys, you see people in your life, and it's going to take a lot for you to help them, which means you're going to have to suffer along their side You don't want to do it, and so you start avoiding that person. But look, if all of this is true, then that means you could look at potential suffering or loss or pain that you're going to experience by walking alongside someone, and it means, guess what? You're going to go and you're going to walk alongside of them, because yeah, guess what? Suffering and pain, it's horrible, but at the same time, as you suffer, Christ is right there by your side. You're sitting there like the cripple at the table. He's right there with you. Like, he's there. Okay, so if you're suffering right now, just picture Christ sitting at the table with you. He's got wounds in his side. He's got wounds in his hands. He's felt the weight of suffering far more than you have. And he takes, and he takes his hand and he puts it on yours, and you see the scar. And he says, I know. I know. I know what you're going through. But, but, stick with me because the power of the resurrection, I've got it, and it's here for you. And we're going to get through this, I promise you. And it's going to be hard, but I'm with you, at the table, sitting beside you. The road to moxie is a road of loss. This is why Paul says, when we're weak, we're actually stronger. Not in these verses, but other verses. Because it's when you are weak that you start reaching for Christ, and now you're drawing from his power, not your own. Again, not the power to lift heavy objects, the power from oxy. Perhaps right now, you're the person standing outside the gate, bargaining with God about why you deserve to get in. Perhaps you keep saying, yep, yeah, you know what, this Christianity thing, like it's really great like what Christ did for me, but God, look at what I'm doing for you. Perhaps your biggest problem is that you're a really good person. So you don't think you need Christ. It's easy to avoid Christ if you think you're a really great person. You think, of course God loves me and accepts me. No use for Christ in that situation. Then guess what happens? There's no use for the church. If you're working on the try-hard system, Christ and the church, they're irrelevant to you. You just go try hard. You go on the boat on Sunday. Instead of coming here, you know, just as long as you go on the boat, you don't have too many beers, you try just hard enough, you're good. Unless the the standard is like way higher than you're able to reach. Perhaps you're a Christian and you have lost sight of your record in Christ and you're anxious. You're emotionally drained and you keep trying to prove to God that you're acceptable but you feel the weight of your sin and you know the things that you've done that nobody else knows about and you've been trying not to look at them but right now I'm forcing you to look at them and you're like, oh my gosh, I need something else better than my record. And perhaps you're suffering and you are mad as hell at God about it. and you think he's doing horrible things to you, when in reality, he's trying to show you something that you don't know. And I'm not saying that suffering is easy, I'm saying in the midst of it. God's doing something and you're not seeing it. Because here's what suffering has a way of doing. It has a way of stripping you down to where you have nothing. And then it's only then that you start seeing that there is a joy there that you didn't know you had. There's a peace that you didn't know you had. But you had to be stripped down to get there. Stop reminding God about all the stuff that you've done and start reminding God about all the stuff that Christ has done because that is what the Christian does. Christ in my place. Christ on my behalf. Christ's record, not mine. See, because here's what you're doing. I'm doing it, we're all doing it. We see what Christ did on the cross, where the wrath of God for all of our sins that are creeping and crawling all over us, this, this, this wrath has been, or this, this sin has been taken off of us and put on Christ. Like literally in the Bible, it says, he who knew no sin became sin. So he's being covered in all of this creepy crawly sin on the cross and then the wrath of the Father is coming down on him because he's perfect and he's just and it has to be dealt with. Your sin has to be dealt with so it's coming down upon Christ on the cross. And guess what that means for you now? You're free from the sin. The sin has been burned up. The sin has been crumbled up and thrown away into the fire never to be dealt with again because now you have this perfect record. And gosh man, that is relieving. Christ lived perfect in every ways, and every way and perhaps what you're doing is this. You're taking your most heroic deeds and you're offering up to God and I just want you to know Christ waking up in the morning and having a cup of coffee is far, far more beautiful of a record than the most heroic thing that you can ever do because he's perfect. He drinks coffee better than the way you do the most heroic thing you could ever think of doing. And he rose from the dead. Which means by faith, you have access to that same power that gives you the guts. It gives you the courage, that gives you the determination, that gives you the joy and the peace and the contentment that you are so longing for. So now, here's what you got to do. You got to look at the gates of grace right in front of you, and you got to take all the good stuff that you've done in your life, and you got to throw it away. You got to throw it to the side, and you got to walk in as naked as you possibly can, exposed as you possibly can, and you get on your knees before God, and you say, God, have, have mercy on me. Be gracious to me. And he showers you with that grace. And man, when that happens, you're changed. Because guess what? Two days later, the cripple and the prostitute People, the tryhards, they look in and they see the cripple and the prostitute and they're completely changed because they've been in the presence of the king of grace. Let's pray. God, we pray now that we would throw everything good that we have done to the ground and we would stomp on it. we throw it in the trash, down the garbage disposal, wherever it needs to go, God. We would flush it down the toilet and see it as what it really is so that we might take your record, Jesus, on our behalf. God, do not let us fool ourselves any longer. The try-hard system does not work. God, do not let us fool ourselves any longer. We are trying to get you to lower your standards. And God, I pray right now that all of us would see the standards that you have are far beyond what we could reach. And so that we would then come to you holding nothing of our own, but holding the record of Christ and saying, God, have mercy on me. And that we would experience right now the fullness of your love and your grace and your mercy being showered upon us. God, move us to you in a way that we have not been moved to you before. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.